first time in case you didn't know that. <laughs> we could be a little looser, you know, we have a small little family. I feel like it's a blizzard Sunday and no one was able to, to brave the storm. But uh, we don't look down on our brothers and sisters at uh, not making it this morning in any way, and I don't imply that whatsoever. Uh, I would have liked to, of course, have continued on the subject that I've been trying to work through, and that is the life of David, trying to learn from him lessons and uh, faith and the flaws of David, and also uh, teachings about David. And because we're coming up to a point in David's life that I think is the most important of them all, it may be the most, next to the New Covenant, the most important covenant in all of the covenants of the Bible. So, I'm not going to speak on 2 Samuel 7 today. I'm going to hopefully be able to do that next week. Again, trying to anticipate who's going to come here. Because I don't want uh, people to miss it. Not because I think I have, I'm a great preacher or I have a lot to say about it. But I just think it's, it's important enough that I would like to have more people hear it than less people hear it. So, um, And not only that, but because of what's been going on in our world and in our lives, um, I thought it might be wise to change the subject this morning, entitling it, and it took me a long time to think of a title that I think would be appropriate to the following message, and that is that when the sky falls, the stars shine. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10.13, or just watch the overhead And listen to the Word of God. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can... Endure it. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. I have something to say to you. You know, sometimes Christians assume, and maybe when you first get saved, you thought that you now are going to be put in sort of a special bubble. And you were going to be cared for by God in a way that you wouldn't have been before, and in a way that no one other than you and fellow believers are going to be sort of sheltered, protected, watched over, preserved, blessed, etc. And it then didn't take too long for us to be surprised, possibly, that you know we ended up getting sick, or maybe lost a loved one, or had a tragedy in our life, or an accident, or something, and it may have jolted us a little bit, and made us think, well, I'm a Christian now. Am I supposed to have just blessings and not difficulties in my life? I think this verse highlights that, that there's no trial or temptation that is not, that has taken you, that is not common to mankind. So what happens to us is what happens to them. What happens to them happens to us. You may have read, like I have in different articles, historically that we may have read in magazines or books that we had in classes. And we read about various tragedies and situations and we looked at them in ways that we thought, well, that was then, that was uh, those people. And it seems so remote from us that when you boil down to it, you really can't relate to it. 
Things like, let's be practical here, uh, some of the tragedies of the past that have been created by smallpox, measles, influenza, yellow fever, typhoid fever, uh, malaria, Ebola, Zika, yellow fever, mumps, hepatitis. The list seems almost endless. We might think that what's happening in the world today is like it's never happened before. Not even close. Let me give you a few statistics. Let's go way back. In the year 425 B.C., in Greece, there were 75,000 to 100,000 people that died in Greece because of an unknown possible typhoid fever or hem- hemorrhic fever, it was called. A hundred thousand people in the population of, of, of Greece, that's probably 50% or more of the population, I would guess, even at that time. Some other examples. Let's move it up into the A.D. category. About 170 A.D., after the death of Christ. Five to ten million people died in the whole Roman Empire because of an unknown or a possible smallpox disease that had spread. And of course, in those days, they wouldn't be able to diagnose what it would have been particularly. Moving up to 735 A.D., approximately one-third of the entire Japanese population, because of smallpox, died. 1340 75 to 200 million of the European population died because of, this is probably the worst of them all, the Black Plague, called the Black Death. Think of that, 200 million. That would be about 60% of the world's population. We think of these things as sort of like, we don't relate to them. But what's happening gives us a little bit of a sense, maybe, of that. 1957, the Asian flu, which was worldwide, spread to one million people. 2009, 500,000 worldwide were infected with influenza. 1918, this is called the influenza pandemic. It was the most pandemic in recent history. It spread worldwide during 1918 and 1919. In the United States, it was the first identified in military personnel in the spring of 1918. It is estimated that about 500 million people, or one-third of the world's population, became infected with the virus. The number of deaths was estimated to be at least 50 million worldwide, with about 665,000 occurring in the United States. 
One of the reasons why in the past these happened was, of course, because there was no vaccines to protect against influenza infection. There were no antibiotics to treat secondary bacterial infections, etc. I think you're getting the point. We're almost a hundred hundred years uh, since the 1918 plague, if you could call it that, that took so many people, 50 million people worldwide. My father was living at that time. Maybe your father or grandfather might have been living in that era. I don't know that anybody in our church is that old. No, not quite. And no one here certainly either. So these things, now that they've come upon us, and who knows where all's going to go, and I'm not trying to rattle your cage, or I'm not going to threaten anybody with with some imminent uh, worldwide catastrophe. But what I do want to emphasize first and foremost for us as God's people is this. God is in control. Can you say amen? God is in control of it all. Something that can be easily overlooked. I like the way somebody put it. It says, history can be best explained with the H being capitalized. And read this way, his story. History, his story. Let's not toy around with an end of the world theory. Uh, Matter of fact, my wife reminded me, she was reading in, in Peter, I guess it was the other day, and she said, wow, isn't it true that the Bible teaches right here that the world is going to end by how? Fire. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the element shall melt with fervent heat. That's how the world is going to end. It will end. It will end when Christ comes again. Is this a sign of the end of the world? Are there other signs of the end of the world coming or the coming of the Lord Jesus? I'm sure they're out there. And there is such a thing as looking up and being aware and being ready, particularly, and every believer should be ready. We're looking for that blessed hope. That's what even the first century Christians were doing. They were looking for the second coming of Christ. What a great hope that brings to us, ultimately. But, you know, God is in control. And one of the amazing things, too, about the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully created. Something that we wanted to communicate to the Planned Parenthood people there yesterday. And to any that would be going there for consultation and consideration of abortion. We would want them to know that that baby in their womb has, is being fearfully and wonderfully created by God. That that is a creation of God's. And that's what we are. And God has created us so wonderfully that we have an amazing immune system to help us not be so germophobic because God hasn't just left us to be so vulnerable and susceptible to disease that we're going to get knocked down like a, like a bowling ball thrown down the alley and we can't do anything. God created us. With, with, with the chemistry of those toxins that are attacked immediately by what God created within our body to fight off many of these things. Not that medications and medical attention is, uh, is, is unnecessary. Of course, that would be under cer- certain circumstances. We can't downplay it, yet at the same time, we can't trump it up either. We need to be wise you probably have read at times when uh, threats of hurricane winds are expected to, 
to hit the land at such and such a day or a time. And uh, people that want to sort of revolt against that idea have set up what they call hurricane parties. And uh, think it's a pretty cool thing and it's going along fine until bingo, the realities of those winds begin to hit and many of those parties ended up with every single one of them being dead. Now, I'm not a big... Uh, I'm not, I'm not a, a scary cat when it comes. I'm a risk taker. And, and I'm not a good example, maybe, to some of you or to people in general. I can remember when I was in junior high in Worcester, Forest Grove Junior High, and my science teacher was performing uh, something in the lab in the science room, and she was demonstrating by cutting, I forget what it was, but in, in doing so, it caused a, 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 a mini explosion. In smoke, for some reason, because of the combustion of the chemicals, caused smoke to just immediately start to shoot up and was filling the room. It was going out of the classroom, filling up the uh, hallways. And sure enough, the, the fire alarm went off. And everybody started heading for the exits. And, and, and everybody saying, let's get out, let's get out. And there's a big shout and I stayed back. I stayed back and I said, it happened right in front of me. I know what's going on. This is going to, this, this is going to die out. It's, it, it, it's in the sink. Whatever it is that's going off with this smoke thing, it's going to fizzle out and they'll all be coming back in like 10 minutes. Well, here I am just waiting for that smoke to stop or whatever, and it wasn't going away. I had to open up the window. I was sticking my head out the window to breathe on the second floor. Finally, I said to myself, I'm in danger. i got to get out of here. So I ran as fast as I could out of the classroom, down the hallway, down the step, outside, was able to breathe again. And everybody's looking at me. The, the, the fire engines are there. There's dozens of them there. This is a big news all, all over town, you know, free alarm fire or whatever it was. And here I'm, you know, the last one to exit the building. So uh, sorry for that bad example. Hopefully I've matured since then. And uh, we'll, we'll, look, we'll look more carefully at warnings that I should be more aware of. So uh, we do need, and my next point would be, we need to be informed. We need to understand the facts. And then we need the wisdom to know how to act on that. You know, it says about the children of Israel, certain ones, it says of the men of Issachar, that they understood the times and what Israel ought to do. These are times that we need to know. And I, uh, you may know more than I know, probably you do. You've been watching new news, you've been listening to things that have come across the internet. A lot of good things, a lot of important information. Most of it is, it seems to be very factual and very informative. Some of the conclusions maybe of how we'd act upon it, we could, we could kind of debate that. Maybe just judging by who has shown up and who hasn't has made their determinations on what is safe and what might not be safe. That's fine and understandable. The second point though I really want to bring out, besides number one, God is in control. And who but God's people would have that kind of confidence? We were singing about the sovereignty of God, our sovereign God. He is in control. And we need to be assured of that, that things aren't going to get out of hand. They're not going to escape the mind and the judgment of God and the purposes of God. But secondly, there are lessons too I think we can learn from an occasion like this. That our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in this world. Hebrews 13:14 says, 
For here we have no, that is this, this atmosphere that we occupy, this habitable earth, does not continue forever, but we look for one to come. We're looking for one to come. Peter says we are pilgrims and strangers who abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. You know, as a pilgrim, we're going through. And as a stranger, we're separated from. Wonderful characterization of the conduct, conduct and character of Christians. We are pilgrims. We are heading for a destiny. We have a journey that we're heading to the homeland. We're like the children of Israel. We've left the bondage of Egypt. And now we're heading to the promised land. The land that flows with milk and honey. That's why Abraham was able to leave the Ur of the Chaldees. It says, by faith, he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and architect is God. Wow. And he didn't turn back like Lot's wife did. We're looking ahead. It's not that we're inviting death. We're not inviting plagues. And we're not going to put our lives on the line just so that we can be heroes and depart and go to heaven like the uh, different cults have done that and, and, and foolishly and, and uh, horrible testimony. That's not what we're thinking at all. But this does help us to examine ourselves. How worldly minded versus how heavenly minded are we? We can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. And sometimes we can be so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. Our feet are certainly on the ground. But at the same time, we need to recognize, Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We are a heavenly people. We're the salt of the earth. These these are times and opportunities for us when the sky falls, for us, the stars to shine. And didn't Abraham have the promise given to him about his future progeny of the faithful, that they would be what? As as many as the stars of the sky. Why do you say stars? Well, certainly stars are innumerable, numerous, but I think there's something about stars, and the Bible talks about us as being the lights of the world. And in, in, in the book of Philippians, it, it talks about showing brightness in the times of darkness, and that's what we certainly can be doing. Here we have no abiding city. We're looking for one to come. In the book of Proverbs, it says, chapter 11, verse 7, When a wicked man dies, his expectation shall perish in the hope of unjust men perishes. Because when you think of it from a worldly standpoint, a person that has no hope, whose confidence and hope is only in this world, to them death is a tragedy. For us, it's just a transfer. We're escorted to the world to come. We're escorted, like Paul says, and to be with Christ, which is far better. This world is not our home, ultimately. But those that don't have another home, that is a second home, a home from above, are obviously going to be living just for this world. So what they would look at as being horrible, tragic, uh, 
unexplainable, the worst thing possible for us is differently interpreted. Because we have what they don't have. And these are the times when we can show that we have a hope beyond this world that is much more valuable than the current one that we're living in right now. The hymn writer said, I am but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth is a desert drear. Heaven is my home. Danger and sorrow stand round me on every hand. Heaven is my fatherland. Heaven is my home. What though the tempest rage, heaven is my home. Short is my pilgrimage, heaven is my home. In time's wild wintry blast, soon shall be overpassed. I shall reach home at last. Heaven is my home. Therefore I murmur not. Whatever my earthly lot, I shall surely stand. There at the Lord's right hand, heaven is my fatherland. Heaven is my home. Let's be reminded of where our roots are. Where we're going to be in eternity. Life at best is very brief. Like the falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheaf. Be in time. Fear as flowers soon decay. Youth and beauty pass away. Oh, we have not long to stay. Be in time. Third point I want to make is that we don't need to be afraid. We're not afraid. It tells us in Hebrews, for for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself partook of the same, that through death, He might destroy him that had the power of death and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. At one time, we rightfully would have had a fear of death and we were in a spirit of bondage. Jesus says, fear not them which kill the body. Even a plague or whatever it would be that could possibly take our bodies. We all know that we're going to die. It's appointed unto men once to die. How do we face that death? Is it should there be a fear? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be unto God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ partook of flesh and through His death, He conquered death so that we who believe on Him can have that assurance that we are more than conquerors even over death, which is man's number one enemy. Job 18.14 says, His confidence shall be rooted out of His tabernacle, and it shall bring Him to the King of Terrors. Death is classified as being the King of Terrors. And you may have been with a loved one, and, and witnessed, depending on the spiritual state of that soul, and whatever, uh, you might see the, the anxiety of the realities of leaving the world that we've only been comfortable and knowledgeable about in our total existence. What will it be like when we pass from this life to the next? The king of terrors. But we as believers, Jesus walked on cemetery grounds. And He could say, Oh, death, where is your sting? He could say to Lazarus, Come forth. He could say, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Amen, brother. Good verse this morning. Yes, we believe that. 
Jesus said, Don't fear them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We don't have to fear, fear death because we belong to the Lord. We have resurrection life. Did Jesus fear death? Of course, He, he dreaded going to the cross. In Gethsemane, He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. It wasn't just death for him, of course. It was many deaths. It was punishment for sin. It was hell that Jesus endured when he went to the cross of Calvary. And he knew full well what wrath would be like. Because wrath was poured out on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Wrath was poured out on the ungodly in the days of Noah. God poured out wrath when he speared not angels, but cast them down to the abyss. And now Jesus is going to be the one upon whom God's wrath is going to come. Therefore, it's very understandable why Jesus would pray earnestly, take this cup away from me. So Jesus didn't merely die a death like we will die a death, but He died a death of many deaths for the sins that we committed so that when we die, we can look to the Lord above and know that to be absent from our body is to be present with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I know these are very basic things, but the times that we're in can remind us of these realities. Went to a restaurant last night, my daughter's birthday, and a bunch of us went, and uh, we thought, well, we should call ahead for reservations, but then we said, well, we're going to be there early, there shouldn't be a problem. We were basically the only ones there. And I felt bad. We even talked to the waitress. I said, have, has your restaurant business been affected? She said, are you kidding me? She says, last night, uh, no, she said Thursday night when she, she last waited, waitressed, um, when news was just kind of coming out at that point, she said, I, you know, I made $37 in tips the whole night. Now, I don't know if she makes 237 normally, but anyway, she, she made... Well, anyway, we made it feel better by tipping her even more than the $37 by the time we left because all of my money's put together. But anyway, just to show you the idea of how people are uh, fretful, uh, nervous. And, and I want to say that I don't understand that. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take cautions. And I'm not even trying to put them down. But I'm just saying that when something like this occurs, people get very much rattled under the circumstances, and especially those that don't have security. But it also may be a time when people might say, I do need something that will secure me than just the pleasures and the enjoyments and the recreations that this life might provide to me. Something beyond just the comforts of this world. Is there something that I can have real assurance we need at this time to have a display of true confidence of God. Having grace under pressure. I don't personally feel the pressure, and I think probably the majority of you here don't feel quite the pressure. But let's assume that it was really pressure, pressure. Well, we can have grace displaying itself even under times of pressure because of the relationship we had with the Lord and the confidence that we have with Him. And as men and women of Ithaca, we understand the time. We should know how we ought to act, and that's key. But you know, when the, when the rain descends, and the floods come, and the winds blow, what's Jesus referring to? 
There's no trial or temptation that has taken you that is not common to mankind. That's the wind. That's the, the floods. That's the rain. Those things will come in our lives. But how do we react to them? The house on the rock stood firm. So build your life upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the rock of ages. And though the animosities and all the adversities and all the difficulties of, of life may come as big waves, we're standing on the rock of ages, brothers and sisters. And we need not to be intimidated. You know, sometimes Romans 8.28, we quote that. I heard a pastor say this past week, kind of stuck in my mind, where he said, you know, we always like to quote Romans 8.28, where all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But, he says, when, when bad things or things go wrong in their life, now all of a sudden they turn into practical atheists. You have to think a little bit about that. Practical atheists like, wait a minute, I, I thought God was supposed to work things for good. It doesn't mean that bad can't work for good, but they think that only good can work for good. But bad can work for good. Because if everything is under His sovereign control, we have to believe that all things... That's why it says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, giving God thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. Now, not for everything. We ask... You know, we're not going to think, oh, thank you, God, that I got the coronavirus, you know. We're not going to praise the Lord for that. But in that, whatever it would be, in these trials and in these temptations, we can trust the Lord during these times. This is a time for us to take advantage of in the sense of contemplating our own mortality. Or mortality. I remember Maureen Breen saying, you know, when you, when you get into your 60s, then you start thinking about you know, the end of your life. And I think if you're over 60, you'll probably say, Amen, you're right. she's right. You know, that you do. All those of us that are getting up there in age, we're, we're starting to say, well, wait a minute. I mean, this, uh, the year of Jubilee, remember, that was always a key point. Like, how many more years till the year of Jubilee are left? You know, before it all ends and everything goes back to where it originally was. Well, how many more years do we have left? And just think of it. That's why the Bible says that we need to redeem the time. Or another way of translating that is to make up for lost time. And I sometimes ask myself, if I had five years to live or five months to live, what, what do I want to accomplish between now and then? I need to recognize that it's a reality that we all will die unless the Lord comes, of course. That's a great possibility. It was a hope that I always had. You know, but as I'm getting closer to the end of my days and you're getting closer to yours and the longer you've been a Christian, you said, well, the Lord hasn't returned yet. I was hoping He would have come, you know, already and, and I would have just bingo been uh, translated like the King James said, you know, the mortal would put on the immortality and the corruptible would put on incorruption and, you know, it will come to pass, oh, death, where is your sting, etc. And what a wonderful experience that will be for those that are living. We may not be here when the 
that the Lord Jesus Christ returns. We may, we may not. Either way, we need to be prepared. It tells us in Ecclesiastes that man goes to his long home. I often think of that. Man goes to his long home. Uh, this home that we're in right now is only temporary. But you know, what, what is sort of deceptive about our blighted humanity is that we have a hard time conceiving of not living in this world. I just think that we have our, our stakes so, so deep in the ground that we can't imagine them being pulled up. And that's the language, really, that Paul used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says there that... Um, let me get that verse. It's a great verse. It says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tent, if it was plucked up, pulled up, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So you and I are viewed in the Scripture as occupying a tent. My thought is, let's not have those tent pegs in too deep. Because... If they're in there too deep, it's like, no, Lord, don't take me now. I don't want to leave yet. We have to believe the Lord has an appointed time. To everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And the first line that follows it after that whole list there is a time to be born and a time to die. There's various seasons within the time of birth to death, time to embrace, time not to embrace, a time to hate, time to love, time of war, time of peace, etc., etc. You have all these contrasts which shows the different kinds of seasons that we pass through in our lifetime. But in all of them, if we have our eyes fixed, if we have a, a vision like Stephen's, I see the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Man, that is going to settle our souls to the point that Stephen, like, like Stephen, it's, he prays like Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen says almost the same identical words as he's about to depart this life. Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. We can be thinking too of others at this time. That's another thought I had as well. That we can be thinking more evangelistically than maybe we normally do. And this might be a good opportunity for us to take advantage. The Bible says you never know what a day will bring forth. So we can't boast ourselves of tomorrow. Who would have thought that, that it started in China? Who would have thought that it was going to get to the shores of America? Who would think that wars that are over in the Middle East, that are out of sight and out of mind, will ever come to the shores of America? Who would have thought that two planes would have gone into the Twin Towers and killed all those on board and many thousands that were a part of that crash. We wouldn't have thought of that. You never know what a day will bring forth. But I think this is a great time for us just to renew our relationship to the Lord. It's so easy to um, let a day go by, a week go by, a month go by, and there's really no changes in us. Things are stored a status quo. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have a stale prayer life. And it bothers me that I do. 
In the Scripture, it says to be praying in the Spirit. Praying always with all supplication, thanksgiving. I need to be renewed. I want to be stirred up in my heart. Isn't this a good time for that to be occurring? I think it's a time for us to have a selah. S-C-L-A-H. That means, probably means, to pause and meditate. I think it's kind of... We, the world would think it's a robbery to not have opportunities to go to Broadway closed down. Opportunities to go to the movie theater. I'm not sure what do they do with movie theaters. Are they closing the theaters down? Anybody know? I'm, I'm not sure, but I imagine the, the attendance is certainly going to be reduced unless they give out 50 tickets. I don't know where they come up with a 50 here and a 100 here and you can have this many. I mean, nobody's the expert. Nobody knows. But I got to say they got to lay some kind of laws. But I think... From the world standpoint, this is like just pulling the, the, their guts out of them. This is what they live for. This is, this is, but we don't live on those things. I feel like this is a time for retreating in a way. I'm kind of glad, you know, I, 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 I'm a sports guy. If, if I watch television, I watch news, and I, I like to watch a game, maybe not the whole thing, but I'm fascinated with, with athletes. Uh, the talents that they have been gifted with, you know, the, the gymnasts, and my wife likes the gymnasts, and probably the figure skaters. I mean, uh, Olympics and, and the marathon coming up, and, you know, those are pretty exciting events. And uh, we all going to feel a little bit of the crunch of it. But, you know, I think as believers, getting back to that we're pilgrims and strangers here, that heaven is our home, that we're not, we're not bound to this world. This is an opportunity for me to retreat from the television set, to retreat from some of those, uh, let me call them carnal activities, if, if I can put it that way without sounding legalistic, not meaning it that way. But it's a time for me to get personal with God. And I think that's one of the disadvantages that we have compared to our brothers and sisters of days gone by in the days of the pilgrims and the Puritans and back and back in history. What did they have? You know, their day was from when the sun came up to when the sun went down. Then it was candlelight. And that didn't carry... They didn't have any kind of entertainments like, like near of what we do. And I think that's a big drawback to us as Christians. And I'm not trying to eliminate all the fantastic technology that we have at our hands. It's certainly advantageous in what we can get on a television screen. I'm not trying to say that, that, that we eliminate all of them, but I'm just saying that they can become obstacles that, that deceive us in a way and prevent us from getting over those hurdles to get into the presence of God. So I think we can delight maybe in this opportunity of time to sort of retreat. I heard that, uh, I forget, down in the south, I think it was in the state of Georgia or Alabama, um, some pastor had this idea of having rebaptisms in his church. And it's a big church. And these people, for the most part, have already, already been baptized. But he, was set, he set up a whole... Uh, time schedule for rebaptisms, and he said the purpose of it is for a renewal. Now, I don't think you need to go to a baptismal uh, font or a river or, or, or a baptismal tank to get baptized for this, but I do like the idea of thinking of let's get back to God, let's get into the spiritual waters of purification, so that we can 
get down to the root of the matter of our relationship with Lord. Because all these other things come and go. But a relationship with the Lord will stand fast. And the last thing I want to say is, can you get up on the screen, uh, book of Habakkuk, 3, verse 17 to 19. And you can look at this verse as I read it with you, or to you. Although the fig tree shall blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, which means no food. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herd in the stalls. Now think, think of that. I want to just pause for a minute there. Um, no blossoming, no fruit, all is failing, no meat, flock cut off, and no herd in the stalls. Man, that sounds pretty depressing. That sounds like, man, your whole world is caved in. Sounds like a hopeless situation. Until we come to verse 17. I almost wish there, there was like a, a big but there. But, but it's an although. At least the King James, I'm not sure what the other translations read. I should have checked it out. But here it says, although. Excuse me, I'm in the wrong verse. 19. Uh, the Lord God, here we go. Oh, no, verse 18, I'm sorry. Yet I will rejoice. Yes, I'll take that uh, conjunction. Yet I will rejoice. Though all of these things are so negative and poor and bad, the Bible says when calamity comes, the wicked are brought down. But even in death, the righteous have a refuge. Proverbs 14.32 When calamity comes, when depressing situations like this come, when our income is hurt because of the financial stresses that we're going to face now, or, or, or health problems possibly, or other kinds of inconveniences to us, and we have a sort of like a, a Habakkuk 3 situation here. Yet I will rejoice. How is that possible? How is it possible? Because we love the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet. I want to pause there too. Hind's feet. Think of the deer. Four-legged creature. And you outdoorsmen and farmers and so on witness this a lot. You see those deer. And whenever trouble comes uh, and they have to scoot, they always go back on their hind legs. I heard a story of uh, put this way that a deer is coming down a pathway and it's blocked with, with timber that's stacked up like ten feet high. And the deer approaches it, pauses, and looks at it, and appears that the deer is not going to be able to continue on the pathway. But the deer leans back on its hind feet, and then, boom, it jumps and jolts and springs right over 
the obstacle. That's what we need to do spiritually. We need to get back in our hind feet. Now, this might not be a hind feet occasion, what's going on in our world right now and with us in America here. But you may have a life circumstance where you're seeing obstacles in front of you that are blocking the pathway for your progress. And you think, this is the end of the road. How can I continue to go to church? How can I continue reading the Bible? How can I continue to be joyous as a Christian and pray to God when this is steering me in the faith and seems to be blocking that future path? Go back on the hinds feet. We have been given, as it were, four legs. The two for us to be able to crouch back on so that we can spring upwards and be able to overcome those obstacles in the way. And if you see this as an obstacle, brothers and sisters, we can get back on our hinds feet. Let's remember, God is in control. Let's remember... That this earth is not our home, but rather heaven is. Let's be reminded that we're not afraid and should not be afraid to die. Let us remember that during these times, we can display true confidence in our God. It's at this time that we can be aware and contemplate the realities of our mortality. And that this is a time... For us to be renewed in our relationship with the Lord. So we can go out of here happy and rejoicing, knowing that God is in control. And whatever befalls us, we can praise God no matter what. Job's wife says, curse God and die. Look at all these calamities that have come upon you. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May the Lord sort of strip us of some of the externals that, that blunt our communion, our contact, and our vision of the Lord. May, might we take advantage then of this time? Because it is a time. There's a lot of unsettled people out there. People are very nervous. And I don't blame them. I'm not saying that I'm not, or we shouldn't be, or anybody shouldn't be for that matter, if it's genuine, right? But I'm saying that we do have a refuge. We do have a place and a person to go to that can give us great comfort and consolation. Might we be able to renew our own hearts and spirits in ways that we could not maybe otherwise or haven't been willing to do, might this be a time for a selah, a pause and reflection, renewal to the Lord, and a commitment to Him like we've never had before. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we remember the circumstances of our lives right now. We pray uh, first for our own family members. We pray for our church family as well. We pray for our neighbors, our loved ones. We pray for our country. We pray for all the peoples of the world, Lord. And we ask, O oh God, that you would use this time, as your word tells us, to everything there is a time and a season. And Lord, this is, this is a unique time when a whole country like Italy is shut down and other countries are taking drastic measures to prevent uh, the spread of this virus, Lord, among multitudes of people. And many could and have already died. But, Lord, might it be an opportunity, Lord, for people first to think about their own spiritual state 
And might they be drawn to you, Lord, by the power of the Spirit working in them and use us, O God, in, in, in ways of wisdom to be able to witness to the lost. Might we be able to show our confidence that we have in you, Lord, the stability and strength that we have, not in ourselves, but in you, so that we can withstand, Lord, those that are fretful, those that have anxieties beyond measure. We ask, O oh Lord, that we can be good witnesses and testimonies to them and that we can share your love with them, O oh God, and point them to Christ in Paso scriptures and texts and Bibles, Lord, that can be used by you, Lord, to the bringing of them to faith in yourself. And Lord, at the same time, we pray that we would be strengthened in our inward man, O oh God, during these times too, that we could be reminded of our own mortality, be reminded about our distance that maybe we've had from you and that a lot of the comforts and pleasures and entertainments and recreations that we've enjoyed, Lord, when they're gone now, Lord, it brings us back to what we could say is our first love and our foremost love. So, Lord, just drill this into our hearts, O God, in a way that we would be benefited by this and that our love for you would be increased, our hope in you would not diminish and a desire for the loss would be increased. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.